We're going to turn now to the reading of God's Word, and we're reading from Luke's Gospel. We continue on in our series in Luke's Gospel, and we're reading from Luke chapter 7, chapter 7, verses 18 to 28. So let me encourage you to have your Bible open, to have it on your screen or on your phone uh, as we read from Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 28 together. Daniel, uh, a member of our congregation, is leading our Bible reading this morning, and then Gareth, our other minister, will come and bring our teaching to us this morning. So Daniel and then Gareth. Luke chapter 7 verse 18 to 28. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is one of the one whom is written. I will send my message ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, amongst those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than me. Daniel, thank you so much for reading this morning for us. We really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Folks, it's great to be in your living rooms today uh, doing church together. Uh, My name's Gareth. I'm uh, one of the ministers, part of the staff team here in Orangefield. And I just want to share some words that God has led on my heart uh, coming from from these words in Luke chapter 7. Can we pray before we start? Let's, Let's just take a minute. Heavenly Father, we, we love your word. We love your presence. We love the chance just to be still with you and before you on this Sunday morning. And even though we, we're separated because of lockdown, we thank you that we're together in spirit. And that you are with us. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come and fill every living room, every kitchen, every life. And speak your life-giving, hope-filled words to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here, did you like the Father's Day video? Uh, it was great, wasn't it? I didn't get to do my bit for it, so I'm going to do my shout-out to my dad now. I'm not going to see him today, but happy Father's Day. Um, dad, you're the guy that taught me to ride a bicycle. You're the guy that taught me how to dive into the swimming pool in Tenerife when I was a kid on holidays. You're the guy who taught me how to check the oil level in my car 
and how to rewire a plug. And now that I'm grown up and married and, and, and all of those things, you, you're the man that I, that I trade mildly inappropriate jokes with, much to mom's disapproval. I remember you trade them with me. It's probably a truer way to say that. Uh, you're the person that, that I speak to on the phone and have fierce debates about uh, politics and about conservative versus socialist politics. Honestly, next to my wife, Lara, you are my best friend. And I want to say happy Father's Day. But you know what? You're also the source of some of my greatest doubts and questions over the years. Like, like for example, does chewing gum really live in your stomach seven years after you swallow it? Is that true, Dad? Are, are haggis really these, these mythical Scottish creatures that live on the top of mountains and have two legs shorter than the other so they can run around them? You told me that. Is that true? And were you actually a better rugby player in your day than I was when I was playing rugby? Um, You've you put all these doubts and these questions in my mind. Um, yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. This morning, folks, I want to talk about doubts and questions. And I want to talk about doubts and questions and their role in our journey of faith and their purpose in our journey of faith. Because normally doubts are seen as the enemy of faith. They're not something we talk about. Often we're, we're scared to express the doubts that we have with other Christians around us. We, we, we don't want to look silly. We don't want to sound like we're rubbish Christians or we don't know the answer that we should probably know the answer to because we've got a perception that everybody else knows the answer to it. Does that make sense? We're scared to express our doubts for fear that other people will think we're losing our faith. Or worse, we're scared even to admit the doubts that we have to ourselves because if we pull the thread on our doubts, we might find ourselves slipping out of orthodox Christianity into all kinds of heresy and false belief. We struggle with the concept of doubt, don't we? And, and yeah, when you read the Bible, when I read the Bible, when you read the Bible, when we read the Bible, what we see is that these people of faith, these heroes of faith in the Bible, when we read their story, the words seem to zero in on, on the doubts that these leaders have. Abraham was full of doubts and questions. Moses' ministry almost didn't get off the ground. He had so many doubts and questions. Esther had doubts. Peter, Jesus' best friend, was full of doubts and questions. And, and this morning, when we come to this passage in Luke 7 that Daniel read for us about John the Baptist, we see doubts and we see questions. See, John sends his followers to Jesus because uh, Jesus' ministry is really taking off. And John sends his followers to Jesus to ask one question, to ask, are you really Jesus? Come here. Jesus, are you really the one who is to come, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the one that the prophets talked about, the one that, that Israel has been longing for, the one that I've been given my life to preach about and prepare people for the coming? Are you really the one who is to come? Or should we be waiting for somebody else? And I think it's mad. I think it's fascinating that, that 
John the Baptist would ask this question of Jesus because when you think about him, there's nobody up to this point who has more proximity and more, yeah, knowledge of Jesus than John the Baptist does. John's mom and Jesus' mom are cousins. So John grew up knowing all of the angel stuff, how Gabriel appeared to his mom's cousin Mary and said about this, this baby Jesus was going to save the people from their sins. He knew from even before he was born that his cousin Jesus was going to be the Messiah. John's whole life has been preaching and preparing God's people, the Israelite people, for the coming of the Messiah. Repent and believe. Get ready. He's coming. John's whole ministry, his whole life. And and then this wonderful story earlier in Luke's gospel where where John is baptizing people in the, the Jordan River and Jesus comes and says, baptize me. And they have this argument. And John goes, what are you talking about? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus goes, no, it has to happen this way. So so John baptizes Jesus and Jesus walks up out of the water and John sees the dove, the Holy Spirit, come down and rest upon Jesus. John hears the voice from heaven speaking over Jesus. This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. John has had more proximity and more information about Jesus than any other person alive on the planet at that time. And yet in this moment, he doubts. Are you really the one we've been waiting for? Or should we be looking for somebody else? You see, you can. there's two different ways that we can hold our doubts. Two different postures we can carry doubt with. One is, is cynical doubt. We're great at it in Northern Ireland. We really are. My mind is made up, big lad. You have nothing to teach me. Nothing to learn here. I, I, I know exactly what I think. And, and I'm going to surround myself with people who think like me and vote like me and spend like me and go to church like I go to church. And, and I have nothing to learn from anybody else. Cynical doubt, really cynical and suspicious of other ideas. And then there's honest doubt. A doubt that says, yeah, I, I know what I believe, but I'm open to asking questions. I'm open to going deeper. I, I, I know what I believe, but I don't think I've arrived at my destination yet. There's more revelation to come. So, so come in and help me learn. And I maybe not agree, but, but help me learn. There's cynical doubt and there's honest doubt. I think what John has is honest doubt. Paul Tillich, a theologian, he says, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's one element of our faith. That's interesting, isn't it? That doubt is actually part of faith. I love that. What, what John does, John doesn't hide from his doubts and questions. He actually brings them to Jesus. And I think there's something in that that we need to do. He brings his doubts out into the open. He speaks them out loud and he brings them to Jesus. And this morning, just where you are in your living room, at your kitchen table, wherever you are, the doubts that you carry, maybe you're a Christian and a believer, and, and yet there's doubts and questions that you have about parts of your faith. Allow those to come to the front of your mind. Maybe you're not yet a Christian or, or, or you used to be and you've slipped away a bit and, and you've doubts and questions and you've tuned into the service because you, you want to know more. Allow those doubts and questions to come to the front of your mind. 
Because I think the invitation that we have is when we do that, our doubts become stepping stones into a deeper revelation and a deeper encounter with the living God. Allow those doubts to form in your mind. When I look at this story, I see John, I guess, having two kinds of doubts that he's wrestling with. The first one is intellectual doubts. You know, in spite of John's proximity to Jesus, he had genuine questions about Jesus' messiahship. He, he hadn't witnessed. He, he knew all the theology. He knew all the facts he had, but he hadn't witnessed firsthand the miracles and the healings and the signs that the prophets had said would authenticate Jesus as Messiah. He had the information, but he had questions about it. He had questions about it. And he sends his followers to Jesus to ask this question, to express his doubts. And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus says to them, says to John, listen to my words. Look at what you see me doing. And then you decide. Listen to my words. Look at what you see me doing. And then you decide. Let me paraphrase it for you, what we would say today. What he's saying to him is, read your Bible. Look at Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Read your Bible. More than your experience of life, and I, and I read experience really highly, but more than your experience of life, more than your intellect. And I, I, I read intellect really highly. I think it's important to do theology well and doctrine well and to read Christian books and debate ideas. I, I think it's really important, but more than your intellect. And, and more than what the person, the dude or whoever at the front of the church, the minister is saying. Don't just believe it because I said it. Read your Bible. That's what Jesus is saying. Get into the word. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. In faith, what we believe as reformed Christians is that this book, this, the, the, the Bible, it's God's inspired word. That, that these words are breathed, they're inspired by God. They are truth. They are the bedrock of truth that we build our lives upon. More than our experience, more than our intellect, God's word is the foundation and the final word of our lives as Christians. The reformers in the 16th century had a mantra that they kept saying, sola scriptura, by scripture alone, by scripture alone. And, and so the doubts that you have, maybe you have doubts about the resurrection, Open the Bible and, and look and see what it says about the resurrection. See the words that it says that God raised Jesus on the third day. Back to life. Go to the Bible yourself and read about it. Maybe you've, you've doubts and questions about things like the supernatural and the Holy Spirit and healing. And, and I, again, don't just believe it because I said, or don't just you know, trust experience, but, but go to the pages of Scripture. What does the Bible say? One of the things the Bible says is that when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things than you see me doing. Go and read it yourself. Wrestle with Scripture. Maybe some of your doubts are around the exclusiveness that you feel in Christianity, about Jesus being the only way to God in heaven. That doesn't seem fair, does it? In a world full of all kinds of religions. But, 
But go to the pages of Scripture, read it for yourself. Look what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not keeping people out. He's saying, I'm the door, I'm the way. Come, come through me, come know me. Come know peace, come know forgiveness, come know eternal life, but it's only found in me. Don't believe it because I said it. Pick up the Bible and read it, guys. Pick up the Bible and read it. Are you willing to get into the word? Are you willing to spend time soaking in these words, studying it, gathering with other people and, and reading and, and questioning and searching God's word? Essentially, are you willing to take these stories and, and, and look God in the eye and say, am I willing to believe what this says? That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. And allow God's word to form you from the inside out, to shape the person that you are and the person that you're becoming. One of the, one of the, the most amazing things that God has done in my life is, um, you know, a number of years ago, his spirit just, just grabbed hold of me and, and I, I felt God say, you know, this book, this book, the Bible, my word, it's not a book about who I was. It's a book, a book about who I am. That's what God said to me. It's not a book about what I used to do. It's a book about what I do. That's what God said to me. And it changed my whole approach to scripture and to ministry and to life. Guys, get into the word and read it for yourselves. Bring your doubts and your questions to the Bible and allow God's word to answer those questions for you. Um, I'd, I'd love to chat to you more about this if you want. Um, sorry, my iPad has just bounced and did something funny there. There we go. John's doubts were intellectual, but you know what? I think actually underneath them, further down, deeper down, they were environmental. John was a product of his circumstance. And his circumstance had cultivated doubts in his life. And I, I think this is true for so many people. You see, John had done everything right. John had, had kept his Nazarite vow. He'd lived up to it. He'd lived a, a good life. He'd given his whole life to sacrificial ministry. Uh, he'd done everything right by any standard. And yet what we see is as Jesus' ministry is taking off, John finds himself arrested and thrown into prison, and he's awaiting execution because his faith has been uncompromising. Jesus says, you know, not like a reed swayed by the wind, but uncompromising faith. And it's gotten John arrested, and he's in prison, and he's about to be executed. And, and John knows the words that have been spoken about the Messiah. That when the Messiah comes, he's going to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He's going to set the captives free. That's what Isaiah said when he prophesied about him in Isaiah 61. Goodness, that's what Jesus said when he preached his opening sermon in Luke chapter 4. I have come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and set the captives free. And John's sitting in prison. And thinking to himself, if Jesus is the Messiah, and he's thinking to himself, if I've done everything right, why am I still in prison? Why is my prayer 
not being answered? Why are these words that Jesus has spoken not unfolding in my life? I think, friends, if we're honest, many of our doubts come not from intellectual objection, but from a place of hurt. They come from from moments when we feel that God has let us down, where God hasn't turned up, where, where he hasn't answered the prayer. But, but, but I prayed for healing. I, I, I prayed and I fasted for healing and it didn't come. God didn't answer it. I prayed for freedom from that addiction and yet it still binds me in chains. I cried out to God for my marriage. I cried out to God for my kids. I, I, I cried out for God, to God for my promotion. I did everything right and work and, and somebody else got it instead of me. I've cried those tears. I've wept. I've prayed those prayers and yet it feels like heaven's doors are closed. And we cultivate our theology in that valley of unanswered prayer. Does this resonate with you? We form our ideas about God and the Bible in that place of unanswered prayer. A few years ago, uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, had a, a massive stroke. I think I've told some of you this story before. Doctors were amazing. They did all they could, but, but ultimately they said he's never going to walk again. And I was with him and, and he and I were talking, his family were talking and we prayed. And we prayed that God would work a miracle, that in Jesus' name he would just heal his legs and, and, and bring him up, return feeling and movement to them. And within 24 hours, I was driving through the town and I got a phone call from his mom. Within 24 hours, he was standing at the edge of his bed. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible answer to prayer. All the glory to Jesus for that. And he can now walk. Thing is, though, I've prayed that prayer with other people who couldn't walk. And I haven't seen anything happen. I, I don't have an answer to that. There's no magic formula here. I, I have doubts and I wrestle with questions about why God answers some prayers and doesn't seem to answer others, at least not with yes. John's followers returned to, G, or to, to John that day and they told him what Jesus had said. And John the Baptist, who had done everything right, spent the last days of his life on earth in a cell, in darkness, in that place between faith and doubts, praying and wrestling with God. And it seems unfair, doesn't it? Until you see this little glimpse of a verse. When John's followers left, Jesus turned to the crowd. John never heard him say this. Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, of those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Goosebumps just reading that. Do you hear the pride in Jesus' voice as he says those words? 
Can you feel the love and the affection in Jesus' voice as he speaks those words about John the Baptist? I can't help but think that he was talking about the fact that, that John was still willing to trust God, was still willing to cling to God in the valley, in the darkness, in the place of unanswered prayer. He was wrestling with God with his doubts and his questions and his frustrations, but he wasn't willing to let God go. Maybe for John, maybe for you, maybe for me, Maybe in the wrestling, we don't always get the answer we want to our prayer. But we always get the one who answers prayer. Because the truth of the gospel, friends, the, the truth of the cross, the truth of God's love is that if you are a Christian, God will never, ever let you go. He will never, ever let you go. Some people will experience healing and some people will experience answered prayer in this life. And, and that testifies to the wonderful love and the power of Jesus. John the Baptist was locked up and he was executed for his faith. He died as a young man and he went to heaven. And I want to suggest that that too testifies to the love and the power of Jesus. Let me finish with a quote. Anne Lamont, this wonderful author, she says this. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. And certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, the discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Let's pray together. Father, we come with honest questions and doubts and fears. And I ask now that you pour out your Holy Spirit. Begin now to fill those, those places in our lives where we have questions and doubts. Begin to minister to your people. Draw minds to, to particular Bible passages and verses and speak words of truth. We listen for your voice. But Holy Spirit, won't you minister the love of the Father. God, release your love now into the hurting, tender places in people's lives where our doubts have come from. Maybe from years and years ago where prayers haven't been answered. 
Father, just put your hand on that spot in our lives and release your love. Let each person who's at home today watching this service, let them them know that you are there, Lord. Let them know that you are real. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that your son died for them. Minister into those tender spots in our lives. And if your doubts have kept you from coming to Jesus, or maybe they've pulled you away from Jesus and you want to step back into friendship with him, you want to become a Christian today, pray with me now. Jesus, I still have questions. I don't know everything. My life's not perfect. And I'm sorry for that. And I turn to you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose again on the third day. Forgive me and fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me your child, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.